0: So we're going to wrap up what we've been talking about, uh, this idea of cycle of pain. And what we've tried to do in these talks is to look at the different cycles we can find ourselves in when it comes to our pain and our lives. And so I want to look at one that I think is probably, if I, I look back on all the ones we've talked about so far, I think one of the... I don't know if normal is the word I want to use, but probably one of the most, I guess I'll use the word normal, normal cycles we can find ourselves in. And so to get that going and and, and to go into what we're talking about, I want to tell you a little story. Um, There's this spot, if you're familiar with Ashland um, at all, there's this spot if you go out Mifflin, and cross over 42, there's an ear, an ear, nose, and throat doctor out there. Right there, kind of like right as you pass 42, you take a right. It's kind of across from, I guess, Beechwood, is that over there? Those roads, Silver Fox and all those kind of roads. There's an ear, nose, and throat doctor, and if you go back in there, there's this like cul-de-sac that's at the end of that kind of area, and we used to go there a lot to hang out with like our buddies, and so that's never a good thing to be hanging out in a cul-de-sac. But that's where we would go. I had a truck at the time, so I'd take my uh, red Ford Ranger 1996 stick shift, um, and we put the back down and sit in the back of the, the truck and talk and hang out and do all this different stuff. And so there was one time we were back there hanging out, and there was like six of us, and all of a sudden I started seeing coming down because there's like a big strip that kind of leads back to this cul-de-sac this car going real slow, and I started looking over there, and I'm trying to see through, because his lights, I think, were on, and I'm trying to think, it. all of a sudden, I could see kind of through one of the street lights, these lights on top. They weren't on, but there was lights on top, and I'm like, that's a cop. And so the first thing we decided to do, we weren't really doing anything wrong, um, so we hop in my truck, and my other buddy um, had his car, so I think a few hopped in his car, And, you know, the smart thing to do is probably just wait there and talk to the police. Yeah, that's not what we did. As soon as we saw that, we jumped in my truck, his car, and we just, like, got out of there. I didn't even, like, really speed out of there because I'm like, he didn't have his lights on. I don't know what he's doing. And so we kind of just drove past. And all of a sudden, as we, like, started going and driving past, he whips his car around and starts following us. And it became this, like, kind of chase, so to speak. But he never turned his lights on. So I don't know, like, if he was really ever going to stop us or if he was just trying to mess with us. I don't know what was going on. So we, like, we're, like, we like, driving, and I have my buddy, and some of you have met my buddy Jake. He is a very kind of to-himself person, and I remember I've not very often seen him so scared in his life. Like, we're we're driving, and this cop's behind us, and I'm, like, following the speed limit. I'm not doing anything crazy, while, like, my other buddy, like, went into this, like, apartment building, shut the car off, and he's just sitting there, and he's, like, talking to me on the phone. He's like, okay, where's the cop at? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I remember we went around the corner, and the cop sees us. And, like, he, it's all this craziness. And it was probably, like, 10, 15 minutes that we're trying to run from this cop, and all of a sudden he's just following me nonstop. Lights still aren't on. And so I told Jake, I said, I'm just going to pull in. He can't stop me for getting gas. And so I just pull into this gas station, pretend like I'm going to get gas, and he keeps on going by. And like this whole time, there was this huge buildup and we're like, what is happening? What is he going to do? And, and if we would have just like waited for him to come back into the cul-de-sac and talk to us, we wouldn't have had to run. But there was so much more intensity and so much more that, that scared us and, and gave us fear because we ran. And I think so many times when it comes to our pain, a cycle we can find ourselves in is one when we run from the pain and we end up getting more pain added on. We think in ourselves that if we run from the pain we don't have to deal with it and nobody can see it so I'll feel better. But in reality when we run from the pain, the pain actually can increase and we feel much worse than just dealing with the pain when it happened. And I think this is a common thing that happens when it comes to pain because pain is hard to deal with. It's hard for us to face our pain and go, I need to deal with this and not run from it. Just like it would have been so much easier to not run from the cops and be all scared and fearful if we would have just dealt with the cops. And so often in our pain, it's so much easier to run or cover it up or hide from it instead of dealing with it and so I want to look at a story a story you've seen before and look at this idea of don't run don't run as hard as painful as as much as it hurts to deal with your pain deal with it don't run from it because the more you run from it the more you look back and realize man I'm in a deeper hole than I was when I first started. And David has a lot to say on this, I think, with his story that we've heard before. But I want to unpack his story a little bit as we look at this idea of don't run. And so there's a lot of verses. I wasn't feeling the best on Friday, so I had to like copy and paste from you version. So that's why it looks a little different than normal instead of typing all this out. But I'm going to read the story, hopefully, really quick, because I think we need to see the whole thing. In the spring of the year, that, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, as midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent his messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. It's a great message. Then David (laughs) sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax, David. Even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him again and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today. David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him to dinner, got him drunk, but even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. When the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. And Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? But didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Mbililek, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem, gave a complete report. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows down at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of the wise. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. That is a lot. You've maybe heard the story, but I wanted to read the entire thing so you can see what's going on here. So let me just recap, hopefully put you in the story a little bit. So David is the king here. David sends all of his enemy or his army out to battle because it was the time for battle, and he stays back, unlike a typical thing for a king to do, to stay back and not go with his army. And so as he stays back... He goes out after his, this says midday nap, some others say sleep, whatever. You know, he goes to sleep, wakes up, goes out on his balcony. He's looking around at the city, and as he's looking around, he sees this gorgeous woman down there bathing, and he goes, who is this woman? I've got to know her. They told her who she was. She's Bathsheba. He says, go get her. He ends up sleeping with her, and she gets pregnant. So this is the pain that David has now created in his own life. He's now slept with a woman that's married. He's committed adultery, and he's gotten her pregnant. He's got some pain he's got to deal with. And so you would think in David's shoes, I'm just going to confront the husband, say what happened, do the God-honoring thing. I messed up. I created some painful stuff in your life. But here's what I want to do is I want to make sure you know what's happening here so that I can be clear with you. You'd think that's what he'd want to do so that the pain is over with, the pain is dealt with, the pain is all gone. But David does what I think a lot of us want to do when it comes to pain. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. It's too painful. It's too hard. It hurts too much. And so I'm going to go the opposite direction instead of run towards the pain. I'm going to go cover everything up. I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid the pain and all the conversations and the situations that are going to be super painful for me. And so his great idea, instead of confronting the pain, is here's what I'll do. I'll get the husband to come home, and I'll try to get him drunk so he goes home and sleeps with his wife so that they think they had a baby together. Well, that doesn't work. So he tries it again later. But Uriah is so set on being with his men in battle that he doesn't want to go sleep and have fun with his wife when his men and his brothers and all these people are out there fighting. And so he doesn't go home. And that leaves David with one option. So to add to the pain, he slept with another person's wife. He got her pregnant. Now he's going to kill Uriah. Now he's not going to do it by himself, but he's going to place him on the front line so that he gets killed. So as we see, if he would have just confronted the pain when he began, he added on to the pain trying to cover it up trying to avoid the pain, he got more pain put on his life. And I think sometimes if we think we don't have to deal with it, it'll either magically go away or I'll deal with it when I think I'm ready. And if David would have just done that, I don't think he would have been in the position where he is now, where even at this point he still could have confronted the pain and said, I've messed up, Uriah. I've slept with your wife and she's pregnant but he doesn't want to deal with it. You know the pain that that would cause Uriah? I can't do that. I can't talk to Uriah and and tell him how I defiled his wife and got her pregnant. What, What are you talking about? And I think at the same time, which I think is very interesting that it ends this section, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Even in your pain, when you think nobody sees it, God still does. David thinks he can hide the pain. David thinks he can run from the pain. David thinks he can cover up the pain. But yet there's still someone that will always see your pain. I think God's just like, David, can you just deal with the pain? You're making things so much worse by trying to run from it. If you would just go deal with it you would feel so much better. But David instead sends Uriah, he gets killed, and not only does he get her pregnant, commits adultery, he's a murderer, he then, which, I mean, seems understandable, but I don't think the right thing, once he's had the mourning period, he takes her as his wife. So in a sense, stole another person's wife. I mean, David's just creating so much pain because of what he's doing. And so you can look at that and you say, well, where's where's like some hope? Like, what what do we do? I mean, the simple answer is don't run from your pain. But there's another thing that I think is very interesting. Um, I can't always promise this, but I think a lot of times when you run from your pain, it will confront you at one point or another. God's going to find a way to still get to you in your pain. He can still restore you. He can still find you because then you see in this next section. So the Lord sent Nathan to the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate, drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home. The rich man but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest david was furious as surely as the lord lives he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity Then nathan said to david you are that man the lord the god of israel says i anointed you king of israel and saved you from the power of saul i gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of israel and judah and if that had not been enough i would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For if you had murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife, from this time on your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I'll give your wives to another man before your, uh, your very eyes, and you'll go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I'll make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel." So like I said, I think so many times we we try to run from the pain, but the pain's going to confront you one way or another. Whether it's God, whether it's somebody else, whether it's just you can't dealing with the pain anymore and you just have to confess it. We try to create this cover-up, pretend like it's not there. It actually gets worse. And then when the confrontation actually happens, it feels (laughs) terrible. Can you imagine sitting in David's shoes as he's dealing with all this pain and he hears this story and he gets so fired up. And then Nathan looks at him and goes, you're that man. You've created all this pain in Uriah, who's now dead's life, Bathsheba's life, your own life. This is a ripple effect of pain that you're producing because of the decisions you're making and God doesn't like it. He's anointed you to be a leader and you are not acting like a leader. Now, the thing you need to know is that even in your pain, God can still heal, God can still restore, God can still forgive. We see this in um, the other passage I, I looked at using is the one with Peter, and he's on the beach with Jesus, and he denies Jesus three times, and he's dealing with some pain because he turned his back on his best friend. But Jesus sits at the fire with him and restores him and says, you don't have to live in your pain. You don't have to live in your mistakes. You don't have to live in your failure. You can find freedom. I forgive you and Peter ends up doing some of the greatest things for the church David is considered a man after God's own heart so don't think because of the pain or the mistakes or the problems you've created in life that you can't ever measure up to what God's called you to if you confront your pain if you deal with the problems God will forgive you. He'll bring healing and restoration and you can find freedom. Don't find yourself in this situation where you're running from your pain and it's actually creating this bigger pile of pain than just to deal with it, confront it, and find hope and healing within that pain. It's hard. It's difficult. But if you don't run from it, I promise you it will be so much easier to deal with it now than to have to deal with it later but I also want to say as I close up I understand there's like some painful things you have to deal with and you may not be in the spot right now to want to deal with that that's okay but you need to know that you're not running from it you're just putting it on a hold till you have the bandwidth the heart the mind to deal with that pain don't let that become something that just hangs out here and you go, well, I'm just not ready to deal with that. Deal with it, move on. If you need to take some time, take some time, go back and deal with it, but don't run from it. I think about as I close, I've told this story a little bit, but I'm, I focus more on the the other half of this. Um, there was a time in high school when Whereas a group of us friends were hanging out and our parents told us we're not allowed to sneak out. We snuck out anyways. So it was this whole ordeal. Uh, I'm not going to go through the story, but there's this part after we got caught that my dad pretty much took everything away from us. He took my license. He took my phone. I think at that time we might have had a debit card. He took that away. So I had no money, no communication, nothing. Couldn't leave the house. Basically felt like I was locked in my room and that's all I could do. I probably deserved it, but that's what it felt like. And so we came up with this plan that instead of, and and then on top of that, the other thing we chose to do is we would not talk to my dad. So like for a week, we'd be at dinner, nobody says a word. My dad tries to ask us a question, we might say yes or answer it real quick, but that was it. There was no conversation, it was just terrible. And so instead of us going and either apologizing Confronting my dad, trying to figure out what's going on so that we can work through this, find healing, forgiveness. We had this genius plan that we were going to run away. Probably all of us at some point. I guess maybe if you had a great home life and didn't do anything wrong, then maybe you never had that plan of running away. But I feel like more people I talk to at some point get mad and they're like, we're out of here. So we had this whole plan where a couple of my buddies, they didn't even get in trouble, but they're like, we'll go with you. I'm like, you don't even, you got no reason to. And so we had this whole thing, and then the more we sat down and realized, well, what are we going to do about money? Well, what are we going to do about a place to stay? Well, what are we going to do about food? And the more and more we thought about it, we saw that if we were going to run away, it was actually going to cause us more problems than to just deal with what my dad had punished us for. And I think sometimes we need to take a step back when we look at our pain, and we go, well, we could just run from it, and then we start looking at it, and it's like, but it could hurt that relationship. It really hurt my heart here. It could really wreck my relationship with God here, and maybe I should just deal with it before it creates too much of a problem. There's so many cycles of pain we can get ourselves in, and I know this is just another one we see that if we run from it, it can cause more problems than just dealing with it.